Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Annapolis. You know, that young person who graduated college this past spring and is now getting ready to go get that big job? Well, here, guess what? Get over to Leon Tailoring and check out their career services division. They've got lots of good professional attire, reasonably priced for both your young men and young women who are getting off into that world of work. Hey, they graduated, they did all the interviews, now they got the big job coming up, so make sure they look the part. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. That's Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, I'll leave town for a couple of weeks, and next thing you know, the world comes to almost to a complete end, or does it, politically speaking? Well, help us sort out all the events the last couple of weeks. Our good friend, Dr. Laura Wilson, uh, assistant professor of political science at the University of Indianapolis, where we teach together. So, Laura, thank you very much for being with us. Always good to chat with you. Abdul, it's always my pleasure. Thanks for having me here. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started here. Uh, the Supreme Court decision uh, on Roe versus Wade, uh, no one really surprised. You know, we saw the leaked memo basically saying there is no federal right uh, to an abortion, but that does not mean that abortion is necessarily legal in the United States of America. Could you explain that for our audience if you could? Yes. And I'm really glad we start with this question because I think this is important and it kind of gets overlooked in the conversation because if you hear protests on either side, you might miss this important point. Roe versus Wade was a 1973 decision that said you could not, that was not a state level decision um, to outlaw abortion. What Dobbs versus Jackson, this recent decision that came out around a week ago, says is that it's a state level decision. So it does not mean that it is illegal across the country, nor is it legal. But what it's saying is that this is a decision that is returned to the states, And that's vitally important because we have a lot of policies that are decided by state governments. And so you could have a state, very likely Indiana, we'll talk about, I'm sure, the special session, uh, where they may say, no, we don't allow abortion after this many weeks under these conditions, whatever it might be. And you could go across state lines to a state like Illinois, where they say, actually, that's permissible here. That's part of our policy. But that is part of, I think, the beauty and the complexity of federalism is that this decision said returning this issue, this policy to the states, and the states can make their decision on it accordingly. Now, one of the things that the the, the court ruled was on the issue of uh, substantive due process, and not to get into all the weeds on that, it's basically the Fifth and the Fourteenth Amendments kind of sort of put together. Uh, but there are other decisions that are also based on those substantive due process, whether it's a decision with contraception, uh, LGBT uh, intimacy rights, uh, you name it, uh, that Justice Thomas wrote in his concurrent opinion, maybe we need to go back and revisit you know, all these issues, but had the other justices say, no, this only applies to the abortion issue. And that is one of the things I think that's most interesting coming out of this, uh, because, as you said, not all the justices concur with that idea. But Thomas, in particular, did note, you know, this isn't just with regards to this particular topic. You said the due process issue uh, that could apply to a number of policies, not just abortion. I, I think this gets a lot of attention, in part because it much like a, <laughs> a leaked opinion uh, that came out a couple of weeks ago, this gets people thinking, okay, so it's not just this issue, it's the other issues too. And that's what makes the decision that we had last week, I think, most interesting, but also most historic for folks to understand, okay, it's it does return the issue of abortion to states as a policy, but we also now get a sense of feeling and understanding of what minimally Justice Thomas, and though the other justices may not agree with him at this point, you don't know what happens in the future, you don't know what actual case will decide, 
in minimally one justice is saying, I think this is a reason to look back and to revisit other cases. I, I think that's vitally important, and it could get lost in the conversation a little bit because there's a lot of other things going on, obviously very important topics right now in politics. Uh, but especially when we think about what can we project, what can we expect to see, what might happen in the future, uh, he's, he's telling us straight up. <laughs> Clarence Thomas says, this is what I think uh, we should do. This is what I think we should see. And, and certainly could give us some insight into what he is potentially going to act on in the future. Our guest on the program today is our good friend, Dr. Laura Wilson, my colleague at the University of Annapolis, assistant professor of political science. Talk about the Roe v. Wade decision, also some other uh, pertinent political issues. And I've been gone for a couple of weeks and came back like, whoa, what happened with the world here while I was up in Canada? This is still scratch, scratching my head. Uh, Laura, let me ask you, uh, if, uh, like I said, the court has turned Roe v. Wade back over to the states, uh, we'll get to Indiana in just a little bit, uh, but you had already had uh, some states with sort of trigger laws saying, hey, you know what, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, Abortion's illegal, uh, whether regardless of whether rape, incest, or some situation of the mother's life is in danger. Who does this impact? Because obviously, if you're, say, in Missouri, which basically outlawed abortion, you can still drive across the Mississippi River to Illinois and go get one. It's true, but this is the thing I, I find fascinating with differences in state governments and policies. There are also laws that are going into effect. Um, it may not necessarily be trigger laws, but for example, the state of Alabama is considering a law that says, well, you could go across state lines, but when you come back, you would still be held liable for the decision you made outside our state. Now, that would likely go through a judicial system. I can imagine there'd be a lot of questions in terms of constitutionality and legality that, that ultimately may play out in the courts. Uh, but but I think the thing that you're getting at here that is really important for people to know is this is going to really return a focus to your state policies. And we've seen this in other wedge issues, classic controversial issues that haven't been addressed at the federal level, in part because they're very strong opinions on either side. And I, I use the example, if you think about guns, whether it's gun rights or gun control, there are a lot of state-level decisions in terms of who can buy what, what you can buy, how long you have to wait to buy it, what you have to do to buy it. And we'll see, we will see that. We're already seeing that play out in terms of abortion policy, too. If anything, it should alert people to recognizing how powerful states can be in terms of these policies and also pay more attention. It's not a universal national decision anymore. It really is state by state dependent. A lot of times we think of things like speed limits that might not matter to us too much unless we're on the road and we're paying attention when we're driving you know, in terms of different state laws. Well, well, this is something that is really important. And we do expect we'll see quite a variety of laws, different policies based on the state's political culture here in the next several weeks and months. And the one thing I, th I thought was fascinating was the was the states are trying to ban folks from leaving their state to go get an abortion in a place where it actually allows it. Uh, you, you mentioned Alabama. Hey, you can go do it, but we're going to hold you accountable. My question is, how can a state hold you accountable for something that occurred that does not occur in its jurisdiction? You know, and Abdul, you are the lawyer, but I will tell you as a political <laughs> scientist, I ask the exact same question. I imagine the burden of proof is incredibly high, and it feels like it'd be a very just outrageous use of taxpayer dollars to try and find that. I don't know how they would impact it. I imagine there would be a judicial question. I, I feel like that would be playing out in the courts. But but that just does show you examples 
of how states are addressing this. And and also the idea of, okay, so, you know, we can ban it in our state, but other states around us might not have a ban. What do we do in potential response to that? That's one way, of course, that a state is considering handling it. And actually, it reminds me of a situation of Kansas versus Colorado, where Kansas was uh, tired of people going to Colorado, buying marijuana and bringing it back across the border. So Kansas tried to sue the state of Colorado to get their get their marijuana laws thrown out, but the court said, no, you can't do that. Yes. You know, it's funny, and and there's historic examples, too, of like Oklahoma and Texas with regards to access to water. Um, I I think sometimes states act a lot like siblings, quite frankly. (laughs) Um, And and the irony that they will say they want the power and they want to be able to make the decisions, and then they'll go to the federal government when they don't like what the other state said. But we understand we understand that state constitutions are the law of the land for the state, and that those can vary. And the laws within the state are the law of the land for the state, not for the others. I say that is the complexity of federalism that I think sometimes uh, states want to have their cake and eat it, too. Sure, you can do that, but you can't have the other state's cake also. That is theirs. You keep your hands off it. Well, I jokingly say everybody's for states' rights until they're not. <laughs> Exactly. Very much so. Our guest on the program today is my good friend, Dr. Laura Wilson, uh, the University of Indianapolis Assistant Professor of Political Science. Laura and I teach together at the at UND. And so we're getting caught up on some of the news over the past couple of weeks. Laura, uh, this week we had an issue uh, with the special session. Uh, Indiana lawmakers had originally scaled the special session for July 6th. That's been pushed back uh, to the 23rd. Uh, they're going to look at uh, the automatic taxpayer refund the additional taxpayer refund, but also look at the abortion issue um, as well. Uh, is this? Do you think this is one of those situations where uh, for, for years and years and decades, uh, Republicans in Indiana have been pushing for uh, Roe v. Wade to be overturned, and now they finally, it's like the dog who caught the car, now what do you do with it? It, it is, and it's the, it's the rights and responsibilities. Now they have the right to address abortion policy as they want, but the hardest thing I think in a two-party system to remember is that the parties themselves are not homogenous. They're not monolithic. Just because you're a Republican doesn't mean everybody stands with you on the exact same issues in the exact same way. And I do think there's a lot of similarities, particularly on this issue, particularly in this state. But the the real challenge is it's, it's easy to begin something once you have the ability to do to act on it is what you do. And And in particular, we should expect that Indiana will ban abortion. That part would not surprise anyone, just like the decision from the Supreme Court, especially after the leaked opinion, it really shouldn't surprise people. But the questions that there are state legislatures have to address involve uh, under what circumstances, at what time. Uh, you think about the baby slash fetus, the, right, the child, however you conceptualize it, and then you think of um, the mother, there's a lot of a little variation there. What do we do and how we do it? And that part gets innately trickier. And so no doubt the state legislator will need time. They'll need time to go through testimonies or hearings to consider these things. Um, and I, I expect we'll see a little bit more dissension than, than one might think, um, because though we will probably see abortion bans in the state, all those other little questions will have to be debated. And there is going to be a lot more diversity of opinion on that, even with the supermajority of Republicans, than I think you would see if it was just all yes or all no, all in favor or all against, you know, that kind of dichotomy. When you get the power, when you get to say how you're going to address a policy and from scratch, that's where you get a lot of conversation and discussion. And I think it's very important, obviously, for the state, but it's going to be a lot trickier 
uh, than we probably would just initially think. Yeah, because I was having a conversation with one of our colleagues up here at WIBC Radio. I remember telling them that there are different degrees of pro-life, just like there are different degrees of, of pro-choice. I mean, you have some folks who like no abortion under any circumstances. Some folks say abortion for the mom's life is in danger. Someone had rape or incest. Then it's a matter of yeah. is it is it is it ten weeks? Is it thirteen weeks? Is it is it twenty weeks? Uh, do you criminalize abortion? So does the mom go to jail? Does the abortion provider go to jail? I always tell people this is a lot more complicated than just saying no abortions. Period. It absolutely is, and and though again we we would expect to see some sort of ban put in place. All of the questions that you mentioned are those that are going to come up and have to be addressed by lawmakers. We all of those different extents, <laughs> all of the different contexts, all of the different exceptions or explanations or cases. It, it gets invariably much more complicated, and I think that's where you see the diversity within the political parties, which is always a good thing. People have different opinions, they have different perspectives, different values, different policies and preferences, but it's also where it gets a lot more complicated, and I, I think that's in part where you saw the special session pushed back, because after this decision came out last Friday, it was very clear that's not something that's going to be as easily addressed as, let's say, divvying out some money to give back $1, one billion in total for tax refunds, for example. Now, Laura, let me ask you, what do you think this means uh, for, for the Democrats, particularly here in Indiana? Because there have been lots of rallies, lots of pro-choice rallies across the state. Uh, does this mean that uh, Democrats have, have found an issue uh, to sort of deal with sort of sort of a sort of a pivot from in, inflation and other you know, gas prices that this stuff that gets people worked up? It absolutely could be an opportunity for the Democratic Party. And it's always easier to be against something than to be for something that's happened. And certainly you see that um, anger motivates folks on any political party, any ideology. I don't care. It doesn't matter when people are enraged and upset. They will act accordingly. Complacency is the worst uh, is the worst motivator because things are good. Why why would you care? Why would you necessarily go out to vote? Why would you be rallying? Why would you protest if things are good? So I do think it could serve as that motivator um, that angers and upsets, particularly Democrats in the state of Indiana. And I, I think it will have an impact on turnout. Usually, when we think of policies and issues and playing a role in the November elections. I always have to say November because that's literally months from now. But something like this, which is a classic wedge issue, it's highly controversial. Um, This is overturning a precedent that had been in place for decades. And as a highly controversial wedge issue, people are really paying attention to it. So I don't think this is something folks will slowly forget about and not care about before the November general election. I do think this is, of all the issues, and you mentioned inflation is very important, right? Um, guns periodically come up, depending on what's going on in in the current context. Of all the issues, I think this is the one that we will be a motivating factor. And if the Democrats can harness that anger and that outrage, right, they can turn that into voter turnout to benefit them, certainly, in November. Uh, who does this, uh, if you're a Republican lawmaker, should you be concerned, particularly if you're, I joke, say, a suburban Republican lawmaker, because suburban women tend to be a little tricky when it comes to lady parts and a little, 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 maybe they may be conservative, but they have their own sort of pro-choice motivations and, and different types of things. I would always say voters are complex. 
I think this would have been different. And this, this is a fascinating social science aspect that kind of gets me. But I'm like, what, how would this have played out differently? Um, how would our elections in particular play out differently if this decision came out two months ago? So before the primary election, it's a little different now because we already have the candidates that will be running for the Democrats and the candidates that will be running for Republicans. And there were some differences in the primaries, particularly for the Republicans, where you had some more conservative, um, more anti-establishment Republicans competing against those that were seen as more establishment and maybe a little bit more moderate, particularly on social issue Republicans. Uh, since we already have that slate of candidates, we know who's competing in the general election. I, I do see the point you're making here in terms of uh, especially suburban women, but I, I I don't really know how that will play out quite yet. I have no doubt that this will be an important issue for those that it's always been an important issue. Um, and, and the reality is we know that this will have an impact before it was. It's a federal issue. Uh, Roe versus Wade said that states don't have, they, they can't overturn it completely. Now knowing that they can, it puts a lot more weight on those statewide elections. And, of course, the how it plays out depends on all the other issues that come up. I I think for some voters, it absolutely will matter. But it's also a little bit different because this decision came out at the end of the Supreme Court season, uh, they meet October through June, uh, but also after our primary elections, in which case some things are already established, like the candidates that you wouldn't have necessarily had had this decision come out a couple months before that. Well, it's like I said, when the the court came down with the decision, my wife and I were on a uh, we're in, a, in Canada. I kind of looked at her and said, like, Sonny, Republican friends, I just caught the car. Let's see what happens. Absolutely. And I, I think this is a, a moment and an opportunity. Uh, they, they have the ability now to do what they've said they wanted to do. And the, the question is going to be, what truly is that? What is, what is the direction? What's the context? What's the extent? What are the exceptions? Um, but what is it they want to do for the state? They, after decades, have that ability and that opportunity to do it. All right. Well, I guess on the program today has been our good friend, Dr. Laura Wilson, uh, professor of political science at the University of Annapolis. Laura, my dear, as always, thank you very much for being with us. And we'll talk this weekend on In Focus. I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Abdul. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.